Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning. Scott Luton, Greg White here with you on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream. Greg, how are we doing? Doing quite well. How are you, Scott? Doing absolutely <laughs> fantastic. What a gorgeous, a little bit warm Ooh, uh, day out here yes. in Metro Atlanta. Yeah. But yeah. you know what? Uh, the big payoff is headed back to the beach soon. <laughs> very nice. Very jealous. Um, hey, we're working on our second uh, pot of homegrown green beans. It's taken oh, us green a beans. While. When you said yes. homegrown, I had a totally different thought. But. <laughs> no, no, this stuff's good for you, man. It's taken us a little while. It feels like the um, pests and like the fungus that attacks vegetables are a little bit worse this summer. I don't know. But nevertheless, uh, they were the first pot was delicious, and who knows, Greg? I might bring you a spoonful or two. Please do. I love. I mean, if if you got to eat vegetables, homegrown is the best. They're not accelerated; they've got all the flavor. If you can keep them away from the deer, homegrown tomatoes are outstanding too. Yeah, we'll have to save the tomato talk for another show. I've given up trying to grow homegrown tomatoes, but I'll save that for another day. Tough, right? It is tough. It is tough. But hey, today, Greg, we have yeah. a really interesting discussion teed up. We'll keep the food theme going. It's all about how can we get our cake and eat it too in many ways, <laughs> specifically right. in global supply chain. It's the trillion dollar question. Now, put it another way, Greg, we're going to be talking about how we as business leaders can effectively fight inflation while still creating supply chain value in the bigger picture. So Greg, should be a great show, right? Yeah. And it feels like a fight right now, doesn't it? I mean, what the Fed just raised, the U.S. Fed just raised interest rates another three quarters of a point, which the market seems to like, by the way. And today we announced the statistics officially show that we are in a recession that the government says we're not in. So, <laughs> Well, you know, regard <laughs> we as consumers whatever, and business leaders. Whatever's expeditious for the politicians. That's right. That's right. But So, uh, yeah, it's tough times, right? And I think this is a particularly poignant topic for, there I said poignant, for these times. And yeah, I think we're going to talk about how you can fight inflation and increase value. That's right. And we've got an outstanding guest. We've had a lot of fun pre-show chatting with our guests. We're not going to let that cat out of the bag just yet. Even though we've Greg, been promoting it for two and a half weeks. <laughs> That's true. So good. So true. But <laughs> folks, hey, we want to hear from you, right? Folks in the cheap seats, in the skyboxes, you know, our guests are star of the show, but hey, you're the other star of the show. So we want to hear from you. Weigh in on what you're hearing us, us chat through here today as we talk about the short term and the big picture, how we can really make progress with both and, and, and get that relief and improvement. All right. We're going to say hello to a few folks. We've got quite a crowd coming in. First off, big thanks to the entire production team. Clay, the Diesel Phillips is with us here, of course, but Catherine and Amanda, Chantel, all the folks that help make production happen. Catherine, as I mentioned, looking forward to a great conversation today. It's going to be a great one, Catherine. And we may just get you to talk about the best Asian restaurant in all of Birmingham, Alabama. We'll save that, though. We'll save that. Muhammad, great to see you here today via LinkedIn. Let us know where you're tuned in from. Greg, we have an all-star 
in the sky. All of them are all stars, but Jeff is a is a former guest, right? And, and do you remember what Jeff did on his show with Kelly Barner and I? Gosh, no, that was that feels like a million years ago, doesn't <laughs> it, it? Well, it was a dial P and supply chain now classic moment. As as Jeff is, and he's a really smart guy. He was sharing his perspective. In the moment, he drew a, a little graphic. Uh, and I can't remember what it was, Jeff, and then showed it. And it was like, it was simple brilliance. So, Jeff, it's the simple things in life. Great to have you back here today. And he's That's why you won't to- let me have pens or I'd be doing that the <laughs> whole time. That and nothing sharp. That's right. That's but, right. Uh, <laughs> Jeff is looking forward to being back in the U.S. I want to say he's from up in Oregon, if I remember correctly. But great to have you here today. Majetti from India via LinkedIn. Great to have you here. Uh, looking forward to your perspective, Tanya Johnson via LinkedIn from Greg, one of our favorite cities, Chicago, right? Right. Great. Speaking of food, great yes. food town, outstanding food town. So right. And Tanya, look forward to your perspective here today. Hey, Josh Goody, our resident Seattleite. Seattle. Yes, thank you. Which we learned yesterday from one of your fellow Seattleites. So Josh, we got to connect you. We had someone stealing your thunder, giving us Seattle weather updates. You, you name it yesterday. I cannot remember that gentleman's name right off, but Josh, great to have you back. He says, deer killed my parents' apples, chives, and tulip harvest. Yeah, but they're sure cute, aren't they? <laughs> they are cute. They are sneaky. It's like they can hear you. I think we'll harvest tomorrow. And then they come that night. <laughs> That's right. Jumping over 10 foot high yeah, fences. Right. It's remarkable. All right. Progress tuned in from uh, Abu Dhabi via LinkedIn. Great to have you here. I like that headshot, by the way. Yeah. And I look forward to your perspective as we work through the conversation uh, today. Dr. Rhonda is back with us. Oh, boy, Greg. Reality check. What is she talking about? You know, I I bet what did I say? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> the heat. Rhonda, you got to clue me in. I'm sorry. I'm not picking up what you're laying down. I think it might have been the heat. But regardless. Well, okay. But she probably has very little empathy for heat for us since the temperature is probably 40 degrees hotter, 40 Fahrenheit hotter where she is. That's right. Right. We're complaining about 85. She's probably got 120, 125 there. <laughs> that is right. Speaking of the other side, the cool side of the pillow, Shelly Phillips is back with us from cool Colorado, as she says, yeah. uh, via LinkedIn. Great to have you here. And yes, Dr. Rhonda, I broke out my summer themed beach themed shirt. So it's the starfish shirt. So thank you. Oh, for, uh, I, okay. You're, you know, very little on my monitor. So, <laughs> oh, oh man, cool. we have got a full house here today. Oh gosh. I know we can't get to everybody, but I'm going to shoot through these really quick. Russell, great to have you back via LinkedIn from London. So great to have uh, Russ good, goes by Russ, I guess. Great to have you back here. Gene Pledger from North Alabama. Great to have yep. you back as always GP. Asim from Saudi Arabia who is an engineer, very passionate about supply chain management, all via LinkedIn. Great to have you here. Man, look at those certifications, uh, Greg. How about Man. that? I, I wish I had the attention span to, to study that much. <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. And finally, Jeffrey is talking about his episode with us, Simplified Supplier Management, ah, hashtag yes. artwork. I love it. Uh, we're going to have to have you back soon. Uh, but speaking of incredible guests, we have got an outstanding guest here today. We've Again, we've enjoyed uh, learning from him and, and just chatting with him pre-show. Great guest. So, Greg, are we ready? Let's go. Let's do. Let's welcome in Mike Jetty, Vice President Consulting with GEP. Hey, Mike, how you doing? 
Excellent. Pleasure to, uh, to be with you guys. Yeah, welcome well, aboard. We have really great to have you here, but we really enjoyed all the pre-show conversations. We've talked a little bit of industry, a lot of food maybe, a little bit of travel. Uh, and so that's really, before we get into the heavy hitting topics here today, I want to pick your brain, start with a fun topic, because tomorrow, folks, tomorrow is National Lasagna Day. Now, there's a story here in the Luton household that I'll have to save for another day. But uh, my kids aren't big lasagna fans. But in the greater sense, we all love Italian food. And Mike, I think you also fall in that boat. But you also... Does anyone not fall in that boat? I wonder. (laughs) Are there people that hate Italian food? Really? You know, I have come across people that aren't fans of Italian food. They tend to talk slower and be less experienced and not travel. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Everyone loves Italian food. Every they human. think the civil war is going on is what you're saying? <laughs> maybe, maybe. But Mike, what we've also learned about you in our conversations is you, not only are you a big food lover, Italian food lover, but you are a serious world traveler. So question for you, if not lasagna, where have you eaten the most delicious Italian dish in all of your journeys? Okay. Well, that's, that's definitely a tough one. It's, it's even harder because I live in uh, Hoboken, New Jersey, which if folks know the town is famous for its Italian food, shout out, there's a deli right on my block, Fiori's, which a lot of folks, it's famous for its uh, mozzarella and roast beef sandwich. But best Italian food experience, I'd have to say recently, I was with my family. We spent a week in Tuscany. We rented a villa and on three nights we had some some great folks come in. They made homemade pasta in the villa. Mm. They served it to us uh, while we were sitting out on the veranda, watching the sunset over the olive groves, a medieval kind of hill town off in the distance. I mean, really couldn't beat the ambiance. The food was amazing. Uh, we were three generations with some of my nieces and nephews, really an experience to remember. That's awesome. That really is. That's quite a picture he paints there, Greg, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, it, and it's a picture that's often painted, by the way, Tuscany <laughs> and sunsets and and all of that. Yeah, that I mean, it's great to get to see that in person, especially with all all the folks around you. That's cool. And I think as you were sharing some some aspects of the story, it sounds like your mom having all the family there together and enjoying the background. She was like over the moon. Is that right, Mike? Oh yeah, I mean, it was. Uh, it's a dream that she's had for a while to get the family over in a house for a full week. And we were able, it took a, a couple of years. We actually had planned to go in, in 2020. That didn't materialize. So we were finally able to get it back on the calendar and everyone was able to join. That is awesome. Awesome. All right, Greg, I'm coming to you next, but really quick. Great to have you here, CM, via LinkedIn. Looking forward to your perspective here today. Josh is giving us the uh, the update, weather update from Seattle. Thank you very much. Averaging 90 degrees by lunchtime this week. That's pretty hot. Stacy from Zambia via LinkedIn. Great to have you here. And finally, uh, Dr. Rhonda says, sounds incredible, Mike. I completely agree with you, Rhonda. All right, Greg, uh, speaking of great Italian food here in Atlanta, where would you suggest folks check out? Well, so the best Italian food or my favorite dish, I should say, is actually in Milan, Italy, a place called Don Gio. But they have a dish that I have not had there. But this is the funny story is they say this is the precursor to the American dish, eggplant Parmesan. So it's called mm. Parmigiana alla melanzane. And it, it is not similar or not as similar as you would think, but quite delicious there. So 
but my favorite in Atlanta is Mezzaluna. So when anyone mm. I know comes from Italy, they always want to and only want to eat there. <laughs> All so. right. Well, I was going to say on that on that Milan dish, you have me at pa, Greg. Have me at pa. <laughs> but uh, Mike, when you come down to Atlanta, we're going to have to get your thoughts and your ranking of uh, the place in Smyrna that Greg's talking about. We'll have to break bread all together. Not never cut the bread, break the bread, right? All right. So, Mike, as much as we want to talk food, we've got you here. You've got a lot of valuable perspective and expertise on really, like we were talking about before you joined us, getting our cake and eat it too. You know, focus on the short term that we're all feeling a lot of pain there while you're not losing sight of making bigger picture progress when it comes to your supply chain optimization. So, as we open things up, I just want to level set a bit, a little bit. When you look at the environment we're in, global supply chain right now, current state, what are a couple observations that you have? Sure. I mean, I think it's been a, a confusing couple of years for supply chain professionals. If you think of 2020, COVID shortages scramble, right? Mm -hmm. 2021, everyone was about resilience, right? And how do I uh, respond to my board about how I'm going to do it differently in the future? 2022 inflation, right? So it's like three years in a row, this incredibly, you know, you know, kind of uh, you know, hot topic that we're all trying to focus on. And I think people are looking around saying, well, what, what should I be doing? I'd say that's kind of the common theme that I'm hearing when I'm speaking to our colleagues uh, in the supply chain. Yep. Greg, is that square with what, uh, what you're seeing out there? Yeah, big time. I mean, the, you know, the, way we kind of generalize it, Scott, Mike, you, you might be familiar with this is where's my stuff. All of those things that you just addressed all contribute to that, right? People, they, I think they feel blind a little bit and blindsided very frequently by a lot of the macro effects that you're talking about to the supply chain. And there's not a thing they can do about wars or inflation or right global shortages, things like that, or, you know, a global shutdown of the entire economy all yep. at once. So well said, Dr. Rhonda, we we're talking about reality checks earlier. She goes, yes, recession and the heat, both big oh, reality checks yeah, there. Yeah. <laughs> the recession, right. Sorry. I didn't catch the timing of that comment. So me yeah. and you both. Yeah. All right. So Mike, anything else before we get into kind of the main dish here today, uh, anything, any other observations come to mind as you, as you survey this, this current state? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, those three themes we talked about kind of shortages, resilience, inflation, I, in my mind, they're not three distinct things that where there's distinct strategies, it's really a similar set of actions. And this is what we're going to talk about. That's going to help you be more responsive and more effective in the face of all those challenges. And kind of the overarching theme of those actions is what I'd call convergence, right? Yep. And when I say convergence, this is really Su supply chain professionals working arm in arm with their sourcing and procurement professionals and also arm in arm with their trading partners both upstream and downstream mm -hmm. to solve these issues right so you know how are we going to address inflation shortages be more resilient it is about having more convergence in our supply chain and with our trading partners well said. Uh, hey, really quick to all the folks in the cheap seats and skyboxes, let us know what you're seeing, what you're seeing your organizations doing, what how you're leading. Again, fighting inflation currently while also making progress in the bigger picture. We'd love to hear from you. Okay, so Mike and Greg, we want to dive into 
really the six point action plan to fight inflation while creating supply chain value, right? The, the, the title of today's live stream. So what I want to do, Mike, let's go ahead and jump into all six. Let's hit all six of these items. And then we're going to specifically dive into two, but, but walk us through briefly all six first. Sure. So first I'm going to start with, uh, you know, data and analytics. All of these actions that we want to take are about sensing and having visibility, right? With enough time horizon to maybe exercise some options. So you need to have good quality data. You need to have the analytics that allow you to take those actions. So that's the first one. The second is, you know, we need to understand the critical commodities that go into the product or services, whether it's packaging, uh, whether it's ocean freight, whether it's, uh, you know, some type of semiconductor inputs. And we need to understand those categories and have intelligence because that's going to allow us again to see the trends and be able to act. The third point is, again, kind of a, a riff on that visibility theme, but more about inventory. So understanding our inventory positions across the entire value chain, right? Both kind of inbound in my four walls and also outbound so that we can unlock greater flexibility. So we need that visibility into inventory. The fourth, I think Mike, we should- If I could put in really quick, and I wanna say Seaham first off loves convergence with partners, your point mm -hmm. there. I'll get to Jeff's comment in just a second, but Greg, before we continue with the second half of this, on the first three, data analytics, category intelligence, inventory visibility, your quick comment. Yeah, I think there's a lot, you know, there's a lot that we can do now as Mike to what you're speaking to that we couldn't do in the past and data and analytics are the entry point for that. We didn't have the amount of data that we have available now. There's so much robust data available now that that's really gives us so much better uh, insight into what's happening and where we stand. Um, and of course, understanding the, the complexities of your supply chain. I like that in, out and, you know, inside and outside of your four walls, even outside of your enterprise, right? Along with your trading partners. That's right. And of course, you know, one of the visibilities that's critical is to know what the heck you have and what your network has. You know, more and more companies are trying to figure out what their pliers have or what their customers have and, and build a more congruous supply chain through that. Well said. So Mike, feel free to respond to that or we can keep driving with supply chain flexibility. Yeah, no, I think Greg is Greg's points are spot on. It's all about, we know that we need to potentially make different decisions. And those first three items are all about having enough intelligence and sense of what's going on out there in the world so that we can explore alternate strategies. Yep. Well said. All right. So we've tackled the first three parts of the six point action plan. Let's pick up with number four, Mike. Sure. So supply chain flexibility, this is really reconfigurations of potentially where you're manufacturing, how you're distributing, whether you have single source or multi-source engagements, a big topic that I think is worth diving deep into. Mm -hmm. Greg alluded to technology and tooling. So actually having the tools to facilitate planning and to facilitate planning where supply chain and sourcing and procurement are working together, but also you have inbuilt technology-driven collaboration with your trading partners. Number five is really a key theme, I think, for all the technology providers in the space. And the last one, kind of, again, building on that technology capability is we need to take a step back and really think about, are we collaborating? And what does collaborating mean? 
And what value can we get out of that that we're not unlocking today? Well said. Not collaboration, the cliche, but collaboration with real meaningful action and outcomes behind it. Very well said. Okay. So, folks, just a minute. We're going to take a couple of your comments, but we're going to really dive in deeper with Mike and with Greg on points four and six, right? Supply chain flexibility and that supplier collaboration that Mike was just talking about. In the meantime, we got some great comments here. Going with Jeffrey says, uh, historically, in an inflationary market, there tends to be a pause on widespread tendering events in lieu of more targeted negotiations where it makes sense. He continues, your organizational growth outlook also plays a key input. Inflationary market, widespread, but with a strong overall activity outlook, it does give some very strong ammo to have more strategic, disruptive conversations. And I think that was part of one of your last points you were just making there. Uh, Right, Mike? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, one phrase we hear a lot is never let a good crisis go to waste. Mm, I think, you know, we as supply chain professionals have a lot of times seen things that will allow our organizations to be more effective, but it's been hard to get bandwidth. Right. Yep. So now I think now there is an opportunity to seize on some of those more disruptive ideas and say, you know what, we've always done it this way. And it, it's been tough the last two or three years. Yep. Let's start exploring some different strategies. That could be where we manufacture, that could be whom we're buying from, that could be how we contract and how we measure success. So I think that is a, a great point. Excellent. Greg, before I share Rhonda and Stacy's comments and a few others. Your quick take on what Mike and Jeffrey have been, been talking about? Yeah, I think one you know one of the things that's fascinating about this current environment is I actually one of the first tech companies I worked for was built in the early '80s when we had rampant inflation, and to which this now finally can compare. But one of the strategies that they undertook was forward buying, hedging with inventory. But think about that. That was in an, an environment where you had plentiful stock. So you would buy the next three, six, 12 months worth of inventory to Jeff's point, knowing that your your enterprise could burn through it, right? You can't do that with fashion goods or short life cycle things, but, but you could do that with the items, kind of the staple items that you knew you could burn through and offset the cost of that, mm. you know, hoping that the cost or inflation slowed or went or, or ended by the time you needed to restock again. But this time around, we have the double-edged sword of inflation and lack of availability, or at least lack of timely availability. So even a strategy like that has pretty much been undermined in this environment. That's honestly what that segment of Jeff and Mike's conversation really made me mm. think about. It's it's tough. It's a unique, mm. unprecedented, Scott. Mm, Something unprecedented. I've tried not to say since 2020. <laughs> All right. We'll just have to find a different way. We'll have to find a different way. Yeah. Um, really quick. I'm a, Mike, I'm coming back to you in just a second. I want to share two quick comments. Rhonda says she's seeing a freeze in many hiring positions, but a doubling down on the sales team hiring to help with revenue streams and a hang in there mentality, team mentality, as we work through the challenges. Mm. I love that, Rhonda. And then finally here, and I've got some more we'll get to here a little later on. Stacy says the challenges have really pushed us to be critical thinkers. And literally wear superhero capes and more data analytics and just thinking, what the heck will hit us next? Stacy? I, I, I want to see a supply chain. I want to see photographs of a supply chain organization with capes on. <laughs> <You too. laughs> Richly deserved, unquestionably. That's right. Yeah. 
All right. So getting back to the two aspects of the six point action plan, we will really focus in on today. Uh, let's start with encourage supply chain flexibility. Now, as with any great discussion, Mike, I'd love for you to define that first and then get into the how to, to attain it. So tell us more. Sure. I mean, so I think flexibility is, you know, I like to say degrees of freedom, right? I have different ways of getting things done to, you know, to fulfill demand in my supply chain. Right now, we're probably operating in a 10 or 15 year period where we've focused on narrowing those degrees of freedom in in the hope of a very efficient mm. supply chain. So a lot of it's about opening that up and in opening it up, we will have better ability to recover, right? So that's kind of the resilience objective, but also where we have optionality, we're gonna be able to steer a little bit to try to address cost issues, inflationary issues. So this is really about creating more degrees of freedom in the supply chain. Yep, well said. Hey, qu quick question, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put this graphic back up here. Jeffrey says number four should be a key part of everyone's business content, uh, continuity planning. Would you agree with that? Yeah, certainly. I mean, I think this is, I think more and more we're seeing people not just as, hey, I need to have this in case something goes wrong, but mm -hmm. I need to have a kind of a multi-channel supply chain, maybe some that services my markets a little bit more locally, and maybe some where I have maybe my primary supply chain that satisfies 60 or 70% of my demand, but a, a single supply chain that is multi-step and kind of distant. I think a lot of folks are saying that's not going to solve for the uh, the objectives that I need. Yeah, well said. Well said. Okay, Greg, get you to comment on supply chain flexibility and some of Mike's thoughts there. Yeah, I think the multi-sourcing opportunity. So there have been industries that have had to have done this even before the pandemic, right? That strangely, I worked with a windshield and an automotive glass supplier and and they couldn't always get the right quality of glass from a particular vendor. And they would actually undertake to, to order at all times, 80%, let's say from their primary vendor and 20% from another vendor. And that's a strategy that I think particularly now, Mike, is, is really valuable. You keep someone running the lines and seeing you as a client, even if they're getting less demand, and they know that there's upside if their competitor stumbles, right? And that gives you a tremendous amount of either flexibility or optionality. Honestly, Mike, I can't <laughs> distinguish, but both probably, right? Yeah. But that's one thing. And the other is to recognize what your critical path elements are. It could be a washer on a conveyor line that stops the entirety of your production or distribution. And, and you have to know what those elements are and you have to provision for the worst in, in those cases because it doesn't matter if it's one washer that goes bad. As long as it stops the line, nothing moves. So I think that awareness of, of what your supply chain is about and where those, those uh, critical path elements lie is, is a critical part of what Mike's talking about. Yep. Mike, I'll give you the final word on supply chain flexibility and I'm going to share a couple more comments here. Yeah, I, I think those are great points, Greg. And that was kind of the last I wanted to talk about kind of debottlenecking your supply chain. But specifically, we're seeing a lot of companies look at their bill of materials and trying to identify that washer mm -hmm. if we think about the automobile industry. And, you know, obviously chips really, you know, you looked at any earnings report from automobile <laughs> manufacturer. It was all about the impact of chips and what that meant in terms of revenue. 
a lot of folks are looking at that and they have relied on chip technology that is seven or gen seven or eight generations old. And then there's very limited people who want to manufacture that because right. it's just not very profitable. You know, I think whether it's chips or like, like components of your bill of materials, people are saying, you know what, I might need to change my bill of materials, even if it's not cost advantaged, because I'm going to get myself in that same bottleneck two years from now. And I can't be there. Mm. Uh, so we're seeing a lot of folks, I think, putting renewed energy into, you know, it's it's a bit value engineering from a cost standpoint, but it's very much about trying to come up with a more resilient mix of goods and services to produce product. Well said. All right. So again, that is the first of two deep dives. So we're, we just wrapped up supply chain flexibility. What means how to start achieving that. And we're going to focus on supplier collaboration in just a moment. Before we do, let's talk about Joey's comment here. Joey says, and Joey, great to have you back. I think he was with us yesterday as well. Uh, yep. He's made a couple of guest appearances, uh, Greg. Yeah. And who knows? He may have his own dressing room soon here at Supply Chain Now. <laughs> he says, great dialogue. Collaboration with results is key. Maximizing potential through proactive visibility is key. The consumer mindset is now altered, which impacts all areas of how we operate. Collecting data to scorecard your trading partners sets up both parties for success. Excellent point, Joey. And Mike, you're nodding your head. That seems to square with you as well, too, right? Yeah, I mean, couldn't be a more perfect lead-in for the kind of the next topic about okay. supplier collaboration. Let's let's go. I want to share really quick. Seems seems look. I love data, honestly. As long as it isn't collected just to have it, mm. I think all of us can feel that pain at some point in our journey. Okay. So let's use Joey's perfect segue there. And let's, let's move into kind of taking a deeper dive, assessing the current state of supplier collaboration and really optimizing that for the future to give us some of your thoughts around number six there, Mike. Sure. So I think for a lot of people, collaboration is, is sort of a bad word, right? And collaboration 1.0 has been a negative experience. Uh, you know, what we see in a lot of industries is a more powerful trading partner just forces requirements and punitive contractual arrangements onto the, the 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 partner that maybe doesn't have as much leverage in the organization and doesn't listen right i, mean, I would say if you talk to you know 75% of the folks their experience with kind of collaboration and setting up those models they will often see it as being very one-sided and something that didn't deliver on any of the promises as to why they got into these types of arrangements. Yep. I'm going to say what Mike can't Walmart, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it, it had it. And that, that's a really good point. Collaboration has really been a, a euphemization of dominance of, of a strong trading partner on their lesser trading partners. And, and I think the truth is that power of the consumer power, um, was it Russell uh, mentioned? Jeffrey. I think. Or yeah, uh, Joey. Okay. Joey, sorry. Joey, yeah. The, the consumer power has disabled any member of the supply chain, supply network, whatever you want to call it, from blaming, you know, blatantly blaming someone else for the fault because there's always a way that, that one trading partner can contribute to the success of another, be they the client, customer, or the, the vendor, supplier. Yep. There's always a way to improve that. And that kind of collaboration, Mike, is I think what you're talking about. And it's becoming more and more prevalent. Yeah. I mean, I think the good, you know, there's a silver lining to, you know, 
the challenges we've had over the last 30 months is that I think there's more willingness to listen to those trading partners because everyone realized where I worked well with my trading partners, things went well, where mm -hmm. I didn't have a strong relationship, even if I thought I could make them do stuff, it didn't happen. The product yeah. did not materialize. Uh, so I think there's momentum. And I think what people are realizing is that a lot of those requirements and you know what we thought were smart contractual arrangements with penalties, well, it just caused more friction and extra cost, right? So it didn't help us from uh, a resilient standpoint, and it may have increased our cost basis. So I think, I think there's a, a market change in attitudes, and it's something that I'm super excited to see. Mm. Real collaboration, again, outcome-driven, where all parties, uh, there's something in it for everybody and worth the extra work or the extra, you know, framing up the relationship or what it would have you. Uh, and, not, and preemptive rather than responsive. I think that's one of the things we're starting to see more and more is the goal of collaboration is not to collaborate on solving the problems. It's to collaborate on preventing ah, problems in the first place. And I think nice. that accrues to the value of both enterprises, regardless of whether things go right or wrong. Yep. Well said. All right. So Mike, you want to speak to uh, any final thoughts on, again, kind of collaboration? I think you called collaboration 1.0, kind of burned a lot of folks, but we're talking collaboration 2.0. I don't know. Maybe we're already at 3.0, but but how can folks also achieve it? Or maybe what's the right approach to, to building those really successful collaborative partnerships? Yeah. I mean, I think you could boil it down to sort of a tagline of partners prosper, dictators I, I don't know if die is too strong of a word, but it, it at least has the, the the same beginning consonant, but definitely partners prosper. And that's what collaboration two or 3.0 is about is partnership and joint prospering versus yep. dictating requirements uh, to your trading partner. Yeah. Well said. Okay. Uh, in a moment, we're going to move to getting some of Mike's final thoughts and then some resources. But before we do, we got, we got a bunch of great comments here today. Let's see here. Josh Goody, solo supply chain is the unicorn of the past two years. If you don't have an alternative for a rainy day, little Seattle pun there, <laughs> you're setting yourself up for a headache. Hey, I'm with you. I, I was am with stunned you. by how many companies, and I bet you too, Mike, how many companies did not have alternative provisions built into their supply chain. I just, you know, having dealt with so many supply chains over the years, I just assumed that it was part of everyone's mm. design, right? But it's not, and not by a long shot. Mike, any, any comment there, observations? Yeah, there? I mean, I think, uh, unfortunately, you know, the, the tide went out and we, we sort of saw who was wearing uh, their bathing suit, uh, as you know, Warren Buffett says, and a lot of us were, uh, and, and this is, oh yeah, this is all of us, a lot of us were out there and we were covering up because we yeah. were Skivvies. Uh, yeah. Mike, what a great, uh, I love that Warren Buffett uh, quote. So I, I'm so glad you brought it in because hey, it's still, it's still beach weather, right? We're still in July. Some folks are still sneaking in some vacations. So I love that. But you got to be careful what you're sneaking in is what you're saying. Mike. Right. Hey, CM says, I guess O-rings is one of the things that she, she manages. Almost had an emergency there. But she says for this conversation, she's in heaven. We're talking bombs and more. So great to have you here as always. Uh, Russ says, one important thing at this moment in time to tackle the inflation effects should be to define a purchasing strategy, e.g. identifying critical parts, key supplier pressures, fact-based supplier negotiation. Mike, you're shaking your head. Quick thoughts? 
Yeah, definitely. And in this kind of, uh, it goes to supply supply chain and sourcing and procurement working together. You know, sometimes we're addressing whether it's that O-ring shortage or what we're going to do for this bottleneck part separately. And that never leads to the outcome. So that kind of more integrated approach to those key functions working together, uh, super important. Yep. Agreed. Uh, Greg, your quick thought. Um, yeah, I couldn't help but go here. And that is while we are accepting price increases because inflation is going up, we have to be careful to watch as inflation goes down to benefit going the other direction. I, yep. I still think back to the temporary, very temporary fuel shortages of the late 2000s and and the search, fuel surcharges that went on to transportation that never went away, even though fuel prices came back down. So, right. you know, while we must trust, we must verify uh, with our trading partners that we're getting equal treatment when as things start to slow, which will eventually happen in the future. Excellent point. In a greater sense, Greg, I love your call out there. There's got to be a mechanism for uh, the valleys as much as the peaks uh, uh, from, for, uh, from a pricing standpoint to take care of all parties, mm -hmm. right? And if you can put that in place preemptively, as you and Mike both are speaking about, you're not in there in the moment, you know, fighting about uh, price increases and, and and that's burning trust in the relationship, all that stuff. If you can be really smart about uh, preemptively putting in those good for all parties mechanisms where it's truly focused on the markets, I think, Mike, uh, a lot of folks can win. And that, and that it sounds like to me is a, is is one of the key elements in collaboration 2.0, 3.0, right? Definitely. You got okay. it. All right, a couple quick comments, and then we're going to get Mike's final take here. Rhonda says, as a consumer watching my pocketbook, more so now, I'm more interested in investing in our hospitality industry and traveling after years of isolation. Maybe you and uh, Mike can compare notes here. <laughs> Less home projects focused and mm -hmm. more focused on face-to-face -face social networking, traveling, and exploring new places and experiences. Hey, I think we all are with you there. Uh, yeah. And then Alex points to Mike, you and Greg, talking about that power imbalance when it comes to supplier relationships and how that definitely resonates with some of his recent experiences. Alex, feel free to expound on that. We'd love to learn more. Okay. So Mike, when it comes down to it, again, we've walked through the six, the six point action plan for fighting inflation while creating supply chain value. We've taken a deep dive on items four and six. So give us your, you know, kind of your final observation you want to leave with folks when it comes to the here and now and the bigger picture. Sure. So when we think about our challenges, supply shortages, how do we become more resilient? How do we deal with inflation? These challenges are the same set of techniques help us make progress on all three of those challenges. So uh, definitely encourage folks to look at the techniques that we've talked about and not to think of these as mutually exclusive objectives. I think it's thinking about them as the same set of challenges, the same set of techniques that will get companies and their supply chains in a healthier place to deal with whatever next year uh, throws at us. Because next year, as we all know, is definitely going to throw some new and old things at us. Fight continues. Mike, well said. Greg, your quick comment, and then we're going to move into some resources that GEP team has brought to the table here. Yeah, I, I think we have to recognize this uh, as importantly as any of these operational or strategic discussions that Mike has brought us, and that is that there is no place to hide in supply chain 
or procurement anymore. We asked for a seat at the table. 2020 gave us that seat in spades. It also exposed the supply chain and procurement to the awareness of customers and consumers of all ilks, and they can't unsee it and they can't become unaware of it. And now, you know, other than the collection of, of disruptions that were caused specifically by the pandemic, a lot of this are disruptions that supply chains have been through before, but now everyone is aware of it. So we have to acknowledge and accept that we got exactly what we asked for, which was mm. awareness, a seat at the table, uh, you know, and the respect. I think we do finally have the respect, if not yet the budget, for a lot of the th things that supply chain needs to do and procurement needs to do to improve. That's right. Uh, Mike, I bet when you went to Tuscany and enjoying all those meals and making small talk with your family members, I bet <laughs> once you said supply chain, they understand uh, some of the things you do these days, right? That's for sure. Uh, I have more heads nodding than I did three years ago. Yeah, they don't they don't turn around and start talking to somebody else immediately when you say supply chain, right? Right. Sheldon, great to have you back with us. The Shakespeare of supply chain sometimes. The role of supplier qualities is coming more into focus. Companies must now assign a budget to the supply chain to accomplish accomplish their strategic objectives. Well said there, Sheldon. And I love Stacy's comment. Next year, we still need to be superheroes, Greg. We still need to have those capes. Yeah, I love that, Stacy. So well said. I'm so glad you're here with us here today. Okay, so Mike, you did not come without gifts for everyone, uh, resources. Really, folks, just like your perspective here is going to help many people. Probably going to trigger a few eureka moments and and hopefully drive new action. Right, doing business differently. So. Our team, and again, big thanks to Catherine and Amanda Chantel helping to make production happen. See, we've got first up, we've got a white paper on the three essential supply chain tools to combat inflation. So we're going to drop that there so white paper folks can download. Secondly, we've got a blog on seven important things that supply chain leaders should focus on. Uh, it's probably attacking the blind spot that we all have from time to time. Uh, so we're going to drop that in the links. And then finally, Mike, I want, want you to, um, we also have a webinar that you were on here recently entitled Supply Chain Collaboration as a Counterbalance to Inflation. Why should folks check that out, Mike? Sure. So I, I think I think all three of us are passionate about collaboration. It's one of the, the most untapped assets in our supply chain. So uh, the focus there, I think, is really important. And this particular webinar is, you know, speaking specifically to the most urgent challenge that we're all facing and that's inflation. So I think as you're trying to get your organization to do things differently, to adopt some new approaches, collaboration should be one of those approaches. And maybe one of the best ways to sell that into your leadership is about how this is going to help you to uh, address inflationary trends. Well said. Great resources. And we've dropped those links in there. Uh, Greg, get you to comment. And then I want to make sure folks know what GEP does and how how the uh, organization can help. Greg, your quick thoughts. I wish I could do a meme of what Mike looked like virtually coming in here, like with an armload of stuff for people. Here, <laughs> here you go. It's like, it's like he's coming to a housewarming party. I mean, that's, that, right. that's, that's an incredible amount of valuable information. I think particularly valuable is how to deal with inflation without upsetting all of the other value added aspects of your supply chain. Right. I mean, you can't just focus on supply chain. And I think you also have to acknowledge 
you've said this to an extent is that dealing with inflation is not a zero sum game, uh, you know, in terms of other improvements or uh, affirmations of your supply chain. So mm. um, I think it's important for folks to think of, think multi-threaded. Yep. Right. Well, and I think that's the message here. Yep. Well said there. Really quick, Alex says, I think going back to those power imbalance, imbalance relationships, Alex says he worked for a supplier for a big box. They recently removed their business from the company. I worked for no warning or reason given. They had lowered uh, comps over the pr prior months, but went from even with 2021 to zero. Our mm. suppliers on the flip side have used their size to bully increase in prices. So a lot of dynamics going on there, Alex. And sounds like you've got quite a, a new chapter to write to the book. Uh, from your journey. But uh, so can I tell you that losing a big customer like that is not always a bad thing? Mm, great point. We did, we were the second largest auto parts chain at one time, and now O'Reilly Automotive, which I believe is the largest. And WD40 got tired. The one product that every auto parts chain must have, right? WD40. They got tired of the low margins that we forced them into, even though we were by far their biggest customer and they just pulled their product from our shelves. Wow. And their gross, we thought, oh, they'll collapse. They'll fall under the pressure. Their gross margins went up because our, because our method of collaboration was to bully them into lower and mm -hmm. lower prices because of our higher and higher volumes. And wow. it wound up being us who, who came. <laughs> so, and I've seen a lot of companies, um, gain margin by losing big box business, mm. by the way. Well, Mike, as we all know, with duct tape and WD-40, you can just about do whatever you want to and fix anything, right? It's true. That's, that's for sure. And a pry bar. <laughs> and it's, it's been used a lot over the last three years. I think. Oh, that man, Mike. Key solutions. <laughs> it, it feels no, like it's been used on the supply chain, Mike. Seriously. Yeah. No truer words. Uh, Mike, I love that. I set you up and you spiked it down yeah. like Tom Cruise on the Top Gun <laughs> scene. Um, okay. So, Mike, you know, we like to really offer some clarity when it comes to what companies do, how they can help. So tell us a little more about GEP, big powerful organization, and, and how they can help some of our listeners. Yeah, our, our mission is is pretty simple. I mean, we help companies optimize their supply chains, right? That's that's a hundred percent of what we do. That is our passion. We do that three ways. Uh, so one, we offer technology. So we have SaaS solutions for both sourcing and procurement, which we call GP Smart, and broader supply chain collaboration planning, inventory management. We call that GP Next. Those are integrated converged capabilities, kind of mm -hmm. per the importance that we've talked about there. We also provide consulting, helping companies define, prioritize, align on what changes need to happen, and then implement those changes. And finally, uh, we have a lot of customers where we're a part of their team. We're offering managed services where we're helping operate and continuously optimize their supply chains on an ongoing basis. So optimizing supply chains, technology and services, uh, that's what GEP is about. Mm, love it. Pretty simple, easy to follow there. Greg, your thoughts on the, some of the ways that GEP can help yeah, they can either give you the tools to do it or do it for you, it sounds mm -hmm. like. And and I think more and more, by the way, as these newer enterprises, some of these niche brands are created, they don't want to run a supply chain. They want to run a, a brand and they want someone to 
if not completely, largely operated on their behalf. And I think it's a good business to have. It's Mike, by the way, it's something I have contended for a long time. Retailers are really good at retailing. They're really terrible in the, for the most part, saving some real exceptions like tractor supply. They're really terrible at supply chain. And, and I think this gives them, th- these kind of services give them the opportunity if they want to, you know, get the economies of scale of having trained professionals, if that, if you want to call it that, tackle it, they can, they got the option. Yeah. Well said. All right. So Mike and Greg Sheldon says, going back to, I think, uh, Greg's story, high margins and high volumes are like oil and water. They just <laughs> don't so mix. <laughs> so Mike, ton of, I appreciate your, the perspective you dropped today. And you know, we're, we're, we're big at here at Splotch and now we're big suckers for numbered lists. So it's so, it's so, it's just easier to follow along. Right. But folks, we've got the, the links to all three resources in the comments. If you're listening to this via audio podcast replay, you'll find them on the episode page. Beyond all that, though, Mike, how can folks connect with you and GEP and learn more on their own? Yeah, so certainly encourage folks to visit uh, GEP.com. You know, this is a sample of some of the great resources that we have there, and you'll be able to learn more about our mission. Uh, me personally, LinkedIn or other social media platforms, I've got a, a presence on all those. I'm always excited to to network and connect with other leaders out there. Wonderful. And uh, let's see here. Rhonda appreciates the opportunity to learn a lot uh, here today, especially from you, Mike. I appreciate it. We all appreciate that. Uh, CM says GEP sounds like a fascinating company. Is that the is that the label you'd put on uh, GEP there, Mike? Yeah, I think that's a good ad- adjective. I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> so one final question for you here today, Mike, uh, before we wrap and thank you for your time. What's being a big traveler, right? And And you don't have to lay anything out any cats out of the bag unless you want to, but what's one of your big next trips that uh, you'll be taking? I always usually have three or four trips in advance planned. So I always have things on the calendar. I have a trip with one of my sons to go skiing in the Dolomites uh, in Italy, Northern Italy in February. And I have a trip on, on the calendar for April to go to India with my whole family. I, I get to go fairly frequently for work. It is somewhat contingent on Russian airspace and whether that is available to American carriers because I prefer the nonstop flight. But those are those are two of the items that I have out there. Okay, so we're going to have to check back in after you get some of these incredible trips knocked out. And uh, we'll have to check back in with you and get your next round of observations on how to how to navigate the obstacle course that is global supply chain these days. So really appreciate your time here today, Mike Jetty with GEP. Thank you so much. I had a great time. Thanks, Mike. Greg, man, Mike just, he's so so matter of fact about dropping this knowledge here, right? Really enjoyed his perspective. Enjoyed, you know, I always, as you know, I'm I'm so practical that I once gave my wife an umbrella for on Valentine's Day. So I like a good, (laughs) like a really good practical discussion. But Mike dropped some things, been there, done that perspective and some, some thoughts and resources that can really help folks, right? Yeah, and uh, unlike an umbrella, Mike seems to seems to have ideas for companies that will help them stay married to their trading partners. So, uh, <laughs> no, fortunately, you have a very forgiving wife. But but our trading partners all aren't always so forgiving. But nice, I think. <laughs> sorry, you're getting this enough, is like the gift that keeps on giving here uh, yeah. at the end, huh? 
enough about you. But I think, you know, there were a couple of really good insights there. And, and the one you just mentioned is that it is so matter of fact, I imagine Mike has done this once or twice or 100 or 200 or 500 right. times. And I think what companies need to realize is that they need to have somebody inside or outside their organization to which supply chain is so matter of fact that even, you know, globe catastrophes and global recession, except for the United States, apparently the whole world is in recession except the U.S. And inflation thing, you know, and, and some of those things hitting you all at once are still just another day at the office for people like Mike and his team. And I mm. think that's that's something that you have to recognize because so many companies don't know where to turn, right? They don't know where's my stuff. They don't know how to find where's my stuff. They don't know what to do when they do find my stuff, right? And, That's right. and because it is so matter of fact, he and the folks at GEP, that, that it's a great resource to have people like that, like I said, either in or outside your organization to help you deal with what's coming because... As I said before, consumers, executive management, trading partners, even politicians can't unsee the supply chain now. And you are under the microscope like you we've never been before. That's right. right. In, that the, in, so right. in the last two years, supply chain has, mentioned, has been mentioned as often as sales wow. in you know, quarterly and annual statements of, of public companies. And sales is the thing that people mm. have focused on at companies in the past. And, and now they realize that it's a symbiotic relationship between sales and, and supply chain. So that will continue and right. pressure has been ratcheted up. So, you know, if you, if you feel lost, find a partner yeah. and, you know, and if you don't get help with GEP, whom it is just another day at the office, all of this disruption. Right. If you don't get help with Mike and GEP, get help somewhere. That's right. Uh, like as the famous hospital. 80s commercials where right. folks, to make it easy, you know, whether or not you, you reach out to Mike, to make it easy to consume some of the resources, we've dropped all those links in here in the chat. And they'll be on the episode page like this one here on the webinar. Uh, and Stacy, I really appreciate your comment here. Good, relevant conversations. But then she says about the umbrella. Scott, I hope you did not wrap that umbrella. Now, look, as we wrap here, just to, just to clarify things. I saw my wife as I dropped her off at her job one day running through a rainstorm because she didn't have an umbrella. And that was like two weeks before Valentine's Day. So that's what triggered me to problem, you know, problem meet solution, hammer meet nail. But I think she did cry when she unwrapped. Well, I know she did <laughs> she unwrapped that uh, at dinner. So, hey, we have a lot of fun with that. He uh, has learned, people. He has learned. Have, 20 years later, he, we have. He's, uh, made, he's made up for it big time. So. <laughs> that's right. Well, hey, folks, I hope you've enjoyed. I appreciate all the great feedback. I hope you've enjoyed today's chat with not only with Greg, but Mike Jetty. Man, Mike, uh, make sure you connect with him on LinkedIn. Make sure you check out what GP's up to. Really enjoyed his perspective today. And we'll have to have him back uh, as we as he works through all these global travels. But whatever right. you do, folks, deeds, not words. you got to take action. we got to do business differently. On behalf of our entire team here at Supply Chain, now Scott Luton signing off, challenging you to do good, to give forward, and to be the change that's needed. And we'll see you next time right back here on Sapache Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.